You're listening to a curated podcast from the Beyond Infinity radio program broadcast live on Tuesdays from 11am from our Mornington studios in Victoria, Australia. Presented by me, Piers Cunningham. And me, John Young. Into our science and technology news for the week. The platypus, that uniquely Australian animal, is kind of a a bizarre collection of different creatures. It's got a duck's bill, it's got a beaver's tail, it's got webbed feet, it's got venom. Mm -hmm. I think the males have got venom. Really unusual animal. And apparently when European... Settlers. uh, Yeah, yeah. and zoologists and animal experts came across this animal, they just were completely taken by it. They could not explain it. It was a really bizarre creature. They've actually already started using the venom of the males to develop certain types of drugs. There's been some uses in diabetes treatments that have have stemmed from a hormone contained in platypus venom, and that was a couple of years ago now. More recently, they've been looking at the milk that's produced because these animals, uh, they are bizarre, but they (laughs) produce milk and they feed their young their milk, but they don't have teats. So what they do is they express the milk out onto a kind of milk pad or on the surface of the body of the mother. And then the young actually come up to that and sort of lap it up off the off the fur. Yeah, right. The problem with doing that is that other bugs and um, microbes, microbes and, yeah. and the like in the environment can get into that milk and then affect the young. So that milk has been found to contain an antimicrobial protection built into it. As we know, antibiotic resistance by superbugs and that sort of thing is a growing problem. Mm-hmm. Antibiotics seem to have been quite overprescribed around the world, mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of doctors are trying to reduce the amount that uh, it's prescribed to people because it may eventually become completely useless. Turns out that the antimicrobial protection in platypus milk could actually be used to develop a better form of antibiotic, which is not so vulnerable to yes. superbugs. Yep. This is being done using protein crystallization techniques pioneered at the CSIRO's Collaborative Crystallization Center. They've been able to replicate the protein in the milk in the lab, decipher its molecular structure in three dimensions to see where its antimicrobial properties come from. And uh, this has never been done before. And they found that this never-before-seen protein contains folds and uh, unique ringlets in its structure. These are believed to have evolved to help protect the platypus young because the milk's out in the open. This is a new type of protein. It's a very useful one. So scientists getting hold of that, the CSIRO being involved at their collaborative crystallization center, and they've uh, made some some progress already in uh, developing a new form of antibiotics from platypus milk. So a really exciting development there and good news for people who may rely on antibiotics for their own survival or, or battling medical conditions they may have. If you want to read more about that, these findings were first reported in Structural Biology Communications. Now, just moving on the news, the South Atlantic has a magnetic anomaly that's been around for a while. This has been shown in the fossil record of the Bantu people in Africa. The Earth's magnetic field is a vital shield that protects us from the harmful radiation bombarding us all the time from the sun. The magnetic field protects us against that by basically diverting that radiation, which either from the sun or, or even interstellar radiation can also mm-hmm. be can also be pretty dangerous to people and to things like communication systems, satellites, all that sort of stuff relies on the protection from the Earth's magnetic field. Now, there's a thing called the South Atlantic Anomaly, and this is basically an area where it's it seems to be weaker 
and there's less protection afforded by the magnetic field. And it's believed that this anomaly arises from a disturbance in the outer core of the Earth's interior. And this is about 2,900 kilometers below the surface. And this superheated pool of molten metal is what generates the magnetic field. Now, this is not in the center of the Earth. The main core of the Earth is, is roughly in the center of the sphere. It's the main generator of our magnetic field. So it's this anomaly that seems to cause a bit of a weakness in the magnetic field. And this has been picked up. They looked at the Bantu people who are still, they've been, they've been farmers in southern Africa for thousands of years. And they have this practice of burning their huts every so often. And what they've done is they've looked at the fossil record of the charcoal that's left over. They can see from this that the magnetic field disturbance, if you like, this anomaly in the South Atlantic has been happening over a prolonged period of time mm -hmm. and seems to be getting worse. And one of the things that this might be leading to is actually a pole reversal, because we know that the poles of the Earth from north to south and south to north, they do reverse. But every 100,000 years? No, no, no it's, I think it's much longer. I think the last time they re reversed was about 800,000 years ago. Right, okay, yeah. But they don't know whether it's something that happens every 800,000 years, like okay. clockwork. Yep. There may be other factors at play. The last magnetic re reversal was 780,000 years ago. It, it is possible that this disturbance or this anomaly in the South Atlantic is actually the beginning of a reversal in the poles and that could have all sorts of implications yeah. for communications, communications yeah. for the environment who knows for weather for volcanic activity we, we really don't know these burnt clay huts reveal similar dips in the magnetic field happened about 400 to 450 bc 7 to 750 bc and 1225 to 1550 bc it's too early to say for certain whether this behavior will lead to a full pole reversal we just have to wait and see and it's a single data that. point as well it's not looking necessarily at uh, right. multiple location but it is amazing how you know just the fossil record from a tribe in, yes. uh, in africa can actually yield information about the magnetic field and changes over time now a story that i've been wanting to report on for a while we've just lacked the time to do it the forerunner of the SKU, the Square Kilometre Array, that's a, a, the world's biggest radio telescope and it's going to be built in both South Africa and Australia and I think there's even some in New Zealand as well. They've basically signed off on it. It's going to happen. It's going to be funded, but it's going to be a while before the thing gets built mm. and is operational. A forerunner to that is the Murchison Radio Astronomy Observatory in Bulardi in Western Australia. There's a thing called the Pathfinder Experiment to Detect Global EOR Signature, or EDGE is the acronym. This relatively small radio telescope has been able to discern the effect of the first starlight on the universe when it was only 180 million years old. So these observations take astronomers back even further into the mists of time, closer to the, the beginning of the universe or the current universe if you like or our universe depends if you believe in parallel universes mm -hmm. that sort of thing the multiverse this is looking back to within about 180 million years of the big bang and so it's giving them a really amazing view of an area that they haven't seen before one of the things that they've been surprised about is the interaction of primordial hydrogen with dark matter in terms of the weight of the universe dark matter is actually believed to account for more than the matter that we can see mm -hmm. so stars and Mm -hmm. planets and, and other objects that we can see. It's not well understood, but it seems that, that 
by looking at with this radio telescope, they are improving their understanding of the elusive and mysterious dark matter. Fingers crossed when the SKU is finally finished and operational, it's going to take supercomputers to crunch the data. There's going to be an amazing flood of information flowing from that when it finally gets up and running. But it may be able to tell us more about this primordial state of the cosmos and in particular the role of dark matter. So Mm -hmm. stay tuned for that one. Now, a little while ago, we interviewed Simon Young from Lithodomus VR, which is a South Melbourne-based VR company. They specialize in bringing archaeology to life using VR. Mm-hmm. So they've gone over to some of the ancient Roman ruins in, in Europe. They've kind of filled in the blanks so that you can go there, you can put your VR headset on and actually get a feel of what it was like mm-hmm. back in the day when this was all new and not crumbled ruins, yep. which is a great use of VR technology. It's not the only use. They're calling it the gamification of learning. And they're saying that this should not be overlooked or underestimated, especially when the game, in inverted commas, is in fact a historically, archaeologically and socially accurate picture of the past. Whereas some subjects lend themselves to hands-on stuff and can kind of engage students with practical stuff in the classroom, something like history doesn't have that advantage. And it does rely on people. How do you lure people away from their Instagram feed or their Facebook Mm. feed, which they're not supposed to be looking at, but they've got under the table, and get them involved? Well, one way is to strap a, a headset on the eyes Mm -hmm. and get them immersed in some VR. This is is exactly what they're doing. This is the specialty of Lithodomus VR. If you want to check that out, just go to uh, their website, lithodomusvr.com. And I believe that they've also got some stuff up on the uh, App Store and on Google Play, which you can download as kind of a sample of how to use VR. You, you would need a headset, and they start for as little as about $25 for yeah. the Google Cardboard And headset. I know that uh, Google has actually opened up their AR Core, which is the sort of the augmented reality software. which, yeah, like which developers Kit. Exactly. Yep. Yep. So now Google developers can create apps which then can incorporate this. So obviously Lithodomus have been able to use this sort of technology, but now that's, that's actually opened up to even more developers now now to maybe create the next Pokemon type game or some other AR experience. Yep, yeah, absolutely. And we're going to talk more about this because uh, we've just both been talking off air about some of the AR experiences that are out there available now to download onto your smart device. Yes. So we'll talk about that as, at a later time. Just quoting from this press release from Lithodomus, children love the mystery and fantasy of the ancient world, so why not show it to them in a way that will really grab their attention and interest? Young children are more accustomed to modern technology than anyone else. They've never known the world without it. Yes. So there you go. Now, just a couple more items before I hand over to John in the news. New Zealand, uh, their Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern is set to announce a new agreement with a company financed by Google co-founder Larry Page to test autonomous air taxis for official certification in New Zealand. And this was reported by the New York Times. Kitty Hawk, which is the company building the autonomous planes, has aspirations the partnership will lead to a commercial network of taxis in the country in the next three years. So really exciting stuff. It's in- uh, very ambitious. Yep, yeah. they're flying autonomous taxis. They're electric. They're self-piloted. And the one in question is called Cora, C-O-R-A. Takes off like a helicopter, flies like a plane, 100% electric, can fly as fast as 110 miles per hour. So what, about 170, 80 kilometers Per hour and has a flying distance of 62 miles, can carry two passengers 
autonomously. So if you're feeling brave, yeah. I want to head over to New Zealand and Very you can jump in, a, uh, yeah. jump in a pilotless taxi. Apparently, they're also working on developing an Uber-like app, which will allow you okay. to, uh, to book it and see where it is and then be out in the field ready for it to land. Does and it have the bungee cord already sort of stashed under the seat so that you can, you know... I don't know. You might want a few airbags <laughs> at least. And look, just finally, if you want to send your name to the sun, NASA's historic Parker Solar Probe mission is launching in the middle of this year from America. The mission will travel through the sun's atmosphere facing brutal heat and radiation conditions. The first time a spacecraft has done this will answer questions that have been sought by research for the last six decades shed light on the inner workings of the sun as with a lot of missions nasa allows you to put your name you can do it all online Mm -hmm. you just put your name in there and it goes onto a chip and that goes onto the probe i think my name went to saturn on the cassini orbiter and i think it's on a chip on the surface of mars in the the curiosity rover at gale crater so it is possible to do this we will post a link you just go to nasa go.nasa.gov slash hot ticket You fill in your details and they go off to the sun. Very nice. John, what have you got for us? Well, a Sydney biohacker has uh, recently lost a court case and has been ordered to pay a fine of $220 and court costs of $1,000. Late last year, a guy by the name of Meow Ludo Disco Gamma Meow Meow. I know, what a classic name. <laughs> Great yeah. name. I, mean, that, I, I doubt his parents gave him that name. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> he he uh, had inserted into his hand a little NFC chip, which was about 10 millimetres by 6 millimetres. Yeah. And he was using his hand then to wave across the sensors to allow him access through the Opal card system, which is the transport system up in New South Wales. Hmm. Now, authorities had stopped him while he was uh, travelling and demanded to see his valid ticket, which he explained, well, it's in my hand, I can't show you. (laughs) And they fined him and he took it to court. And basically the argument put forward by his attorney was that, well... Other technology can be used, such as credit cards and smartphones, to wave onto the system. So surely this is an acceptable form. However, the the courts decided that no, the law is uh, quite clear that you need to produce a valid ticket, and yep. and therefore, uh, based on on that sort of technicality in the law, uh, he did lose that case. Right. So so there is. Now some talk about the laws around technology obviously need to catch up and accommodate for not just this biohacking, but other forms of technology adoption as well. Mm. A welcomed sign by Google is adding wheelchair accessible routes into its transit navigation. So if you're a big user of Google Maps like I am, you'll be pleased to know that there is that option. So for example, if you're traveling from destination A to destination B, then you can say, well, I I want to avoid certain routes. I want to avoid a tollway or I want to avoid this. But you can now also choose to to go via a wheelchair accessible route. So this could be obviously handy for those who are in a wheelchair, but could also be used by people in mobility scooters or pushing a pram if you need sort of... It's sort of a slow rollout and it's in uh, only a few major cities at this stage and that includes Sydney uh, City. doesn't say anything yet about Melbourne, but there is uh, constant updates to Google Maps. So it should be something that we see in the hopefully in the near just future. keep refining that that great service don't they it's, it's fantastic now we spoke about uh, lithodermis earlier in the mm. vr and i sort of wanted to add to that story about oculus rift now this is the headset which is a vr headset which mm-hmm. can be used for uh, games or commercial purposes yep it's gone through its ups and downs purchased by uh, facebook some years ago it's not necessarily seen as the, the leader in the industry but was certainly one of the first ones out there it had a major problem uh, only a short time ago 
they screwed up by not renewing the certificate for the software, which meant that users could not use the device at all. Right. It was essentially completely blacked out. So people that wanted to use a game could not. There was a bit of outrage online because there was no forthcoming response from the company and no one knew what was going on. They thought it was potentially their headsets which had failed and were trying every possible thing under the sun. Finally, a response did come out from Oculus Rift to say, we're sorry, we have updated the certificates and, and now a fix has been applied. So if you're experiencing problems with an Oculus Rift that you may have, then it would be recommended that you go and download the patch. We'll have a link in the show notes that you can head to to download that. Basically, that now sort of allows people to, to get back online, which is a welcome sign. Yeah, indeed. And just finally from me, there was unfortunate news out of America overnight with an Uber self-driving car having hit and killed a woman who was crossing the street in Arizona. It is the first fatality caused by the autonomous vehicle this means that the testing is suspended at this stage which is obviously expected yep there was a person in in the car as well wasn't there there was a, a person who wasn't actually driving at the time or wasn't in control of the vehicle it was being done autonomously but there was a human on board exactly yeah mm. so it was a human on board it is reported that uh, it was a pedestrian by the name of elaine hertzberg 49 and she was walking her bicycle outside the pedestrian crossing on a four lane road in uh, tempe uh, phoenix and that was about 10 p.m on on Sunday night and she was struck by the Uber vehicle traveling about 65 kilometers per hour. So don't know what happened, whether the car even attempted to slow down. More news will come out and as we learn more, we can report back. Okay. And look, just very briefly, the share price of Facebook has apparently fallen on the US exchange. This is believed to be related to releases that have come out about uh, the involvement of Facebook in the election of Donald Trump yes. and how some of their data was misused and, and whether they actually took proper control or care of their users' data is, is the kind of issue that seems to be at stake there. Thanks for listening. And head to beyondinfinity.com.au for the best bits from the live show or to connect with us on social media. We welcome your feedback and suggestion for future shows.